Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. I'm going to ask you to, if you have a Bible, turn to Psalms 100. sure I get my clock started here so I don't go too long. Psalms 100. And it reads this. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Oh, hallelujah. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord is he is God. How I many of you know it's good to know that God is still God in this last day and age? It says, know you that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people. Isn't it good to belong to somebody that loves you? We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. Somebody say, be thankful. And bless his holy name. Why do we do that? For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. That's, that means not just the baby boomers. That means just, just not generation X or generation Y or generation Z or millennials. His truth is true to every single person. Sometimes we get caught up and we can get a little bit silly on the age. We know the people this age prefer this and y'all generation is crazy and we used to do this back in the day and try to let that go. God is the God throughout the generations. The key to getting to the next level is always praise. And what I want to talk to you about this morning when I was praying about what the Lord wanted me to minister, I want to minister to you on this subject, the importance of having an attitude of gratitude. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's important for you to have an attitude of gratitude. Now, here's the thing. Praising God and having your mouth and your heart full of praise is so important for you to actually be able to get through anything you're going through and to get to the next level. It is absolutely crucial. This is why the Lord says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Because there's an importance on the approach. Y'all understand this. Well, I've been married for five years and, and if I'm in the kitchen... And my husband comes in and he says, babe, you know, I'm hungry, you know, uh, you have any plans for dinner? You want me to take you out? Or, you know, what do you want to do along those lines? That, what I'm thinking at that point in time is, okay, let me see what I can whip up for this man. It's a completely different story if he walks into the kitchen and says, hey, woman, where is my food? You've been here all day. You ain't cooked nothing yet. Okay, in that case, he might get one of them boo-boo pies like that, you know, the movie to help. Oh, girl, y'all... It's all about the approach. Have you ever dealt with someone who they needed something from you and you were perfectly willing to do that for them until they came to you with a stank attitude? 
just got something on it. You owe me this. You better. You have you not done? Then, then what you were willing to give them now gets put into a position while you second guessing. And some of us who are still growing in our love walk, you will reduplicate that same nasty attitude they showed up to you with. Like, excuse me, who is you talking to? Your approach matters. Your approach matters. And here's the thing. Thanksgiving is something that is not just lip service. It's one thing to be able to be in a beautiful auditorium like we are today, surrounded by beautiful uh, people who love God, and, and we're all in beautiful singing. Aren't they great? You know, I've known Camila all my life. That girl can go. You better go ahead. So it's one thing to be victory belongs to cheat. I mean, you know, you with everybody else. I'm not just talking about that. I'm not talking about lip service. I'm not talking about raising your hand when you think people think you should raise your hand so that you look spiritual. I'm talking about what's coming out of your heart in that midnight hour. What's coming out of your spirit when you're really going through? What about those things that you've been believing God for months and months and months or in some cases years and years and years and you've been trying to walk this thing out right and then here comes sister so-and-so trifling down the street. She just got saved and her manifestation came the day she got saved. What is coming out of your heart then? Because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart is what your mouth will speak. You want to know what you really believe? You don't find out what somebody believes and, you know, what their commitment level is when the lights are on and everything is going great. You find out what's coming out when the pressure's on and they're squeezing you. I'm talking about developing a heart of thanksgiving that despite what you're going through, you can find a way to give God thanks. The Bible also says that God inhabits the praises of his people. You know, we've all been through things in our life where it just feels like God has moved on and he's not in your situation or in your circumstance. Anybody bold enough to admit that sometimes your feelings are telling you God has moved on? But, you know, here's the guarantee, and it's not about your feelings, but here's the guarantee that you can always have, especially when you feel like you're in this thing alone, especially when you're feeling rejected, especially when you're feeling overwhelmed, tired, exhausted. You know that God is in the presence, in your presence and in your situation when you open up your mouth and begin to give him praise because he is a God that cannot lie, and he said he inhabits, he moves in when the praises come forth. Let me tell you something about God. God, in the things of God, God never wants you to stay on one level. He's the God that will always, you should always be getting to the next level. At the beginning of this year, the word of the Lord that came through our bishop for our house in Southfield, as well as our, our sister locations, including this one, was that this year would be a year of abundant harvest for us. How many of you believe that? How many, how many of you know the year is not over yet? How many of you are expecting well, in order for you to get that abundant harvest, that is God taking you to another level, which means that you should never be stagnant in the things of God. You should always be moving higher. Why? Because the word also says that he is a God that can do exceeding and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Well, this is the proof all you need that you will always, when you stay hooked up with God, you don't have to worry about your future. You're always going higher because when he shows up as that God that does exceeding abundantly all but beyond what I can ask or think, once he does it and manifests it, now I can think it. 
Which means in order for that scripture to remain moving and living in my life, he's got to do something that I can't think. And then he does that, and then I get over here, and now that I've seen him do it, I can think it. Which means I'm qualified for another level. Something that is beyond what I can think. Something that is beyond what I can imagine. That's the kind of God you serve. But it's tied to your attitude. And here's the thing. Your mouth will only speak what your heart leaks. I'm talking about what's going on in your heart. You know, we are like a sponge. If I had a big sponge in my hand and I dropped it in some dirty water filled with muck and nastiness and I left it there, and then I go and I pull that sponge out. Would I not be crazy to think when I squeeze that sponge, clean water is gonna come out? No, because it's been soaking in some mess. And because it's been soaking in some mess, when life put the squeeze on it, the only thing coming out is what you put in. And that's why you know I find it so interesting is that, um, especially when I was in college, there were so many people that were like, you know, this is why I don't do that Christian thing, because y'all got too many rules. I mean, y'all can't do nothing. It seemed like everything I'm doing is wrong, and, and I'm just not about to live my life by, the, by a set of rules. It's not about rules. It's about love. I have an 11-month son at home who I, it, it, the love is intoxicating. I just can't get enough. I was watching him sleep last night through his little, uh, his little nanit machine, and uh, I love him tremendously, but there are so many things that I have to stop him from doing. Other day I was in the kitchen, and I was putting up some groceries. I put him down on the floor just for a second. He just found his little feet. He can walk now. And I mean, I, I took the cheese out of the grocery bag and put it in the fridge, and before I knew it, Lucas was by the stairs, halfway up the stairs by himself. And I just yelled, Lucas, no! And he turned around and looked at me and he started crying and I picked him up and then he tried to, you know, he's working on a little temper tantrums right now, but he tried to throw a little temper tantrum as I was pulling him away from those stairs. And it wasn't because I didn't love him, it was because I did love him that I recognized you're not ready for this level yet, honey. And if you make a mistake, you can fall back and get your life ended. Well, listen, God is a lover and not a hater. It's not about hating on your fun. He's about protecting what goes on the inside of you because life will squeeze you, honey. Yes, it will. It's not a confession, a negative confession. Life will show up with some drama. And the thing is, if you allow yourself to be filled with God and thanksgiving and keeping his word before you, when that pressure comes, you can be in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death and still have it going on and still living in peace and not have your emotions be up and down depending on what he said, what she said, what's going on, what my pocketbook is saying what is happening over here who's in political office who's not listen it's about having your attitude correct and having your attitude of gratitude have any of you noticed that life sometimes can come to steal your praise and here's the thing that I want to really spend the rest of my time with concerning this having an attitude of gratitude is how to deal with disappointments, how to deal with depression, how to deal with discouragement, 
how to deal with uneasiness, how to deal with stack attacks. Now, I haven't been here for a while. Some of you have uh, been with me as a minister um, all of my ministerial life. But for those of you who don't know what a stack attack is, a stack attack is that kind of thing where you get attacked in this one situation. And before you can even wrap your mind around what's going on over here, something else go wrong over here. And so then you're like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. And before you're done dealing with this or even just absorbing the two things that are going wrong, something else has popped up over here. And then you just trying to like, I'm Lord, I'm just trying to hold on, hold, I'm holding on to my Christian faith. Something else is happening over here. I call that stack attacks. Satan loves to do that. He loves to see what it will take for you to break. I'm talking about that. And you know, the interesting thing about this, about having an attitude of gratitude, is that it is uh, the, one of the biggest temptations that can come when you are dealing with negative situations, when you are dealing with negative things in your life, is you're tempted to complain and murmur. Look at your neighbor and say, mm-hmm. Look at your other neighbor and say, I know she's not talking about you. Murmuring and complaining is one of the number one things that can cut you off from the very victory that you need to see you through what you're going through right now. Turn to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. Y'all still with me? Numbers chapter 11. Now, let me just give a little bit of a background here for those of you who are new. Um, I don't think there is a better example of not having an attitude of gratitude in the scripture, in my opinion, than the story of the children of Israel. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background because I don't have time to read through all of the story. I, I encourage you to read through it on your own. But the children of Israel were captives to Egypt. And they got to a place where they had been crying out for years and years, asking the Lord to set them free from captivity from Egypt. They were doing all the work. They weren't paid well, all these different sorts of things, all these challenges and all of these trials. And so uh, if you read through the story, you'll know that the children of Israel were eventually set free. Now, this didn't just happen at one time. This happened through a, a process. You had plagues being manifested in Egypt. You had miracles, all these different sorts of things. So much so, when they got free from Egypt, they were just praying to get out of Egypt and to be free. But how many of you know when God shows up, he always has to show up in his character. He doesn't just do what you asked him to do. He goes above and beyond because he's always the God who's more than enough. So not only did they walk out of Egypt free, they walked out with silver and gold. I like to call that back pay. Because again, all he had to do was set them free. But no, listen, the very serve, the very masters that they used to serve, they used to shine that gold for their masters. They used to make sure it was clean. The women used to have to put that around their mistress's neck. That stuff belonged to them. So if you were in a position in life where maybe you shine in somebody's shoes that you feel like ought to be shining your shoes, keep your attitude of gratitude. It is not your job to correct that situation. Stop putting God on the unemployment line in your life because you won't trust him with the little things in your life. 
You can't do a better job than God can. And that's what some of your problem is this morning. You have moved out of God's protection and into you trying to make things happen. But no, he brought them out with silver and with gold. In fact, they were like, please leave. Please leave and take all of this. And then the Bible also says that there was not one feeble person among them, which means he gave them money and then he gave them health on their way out. Praise God. So can you imagine that party and that dance on their way out? Like, yeah, what you say? Yeah, yeah, mess with us. Yeah, I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? So they're out. And then just like the enemy, just fickle. Didn't we just, didn't we just work this out? Enemy is chasing them. They get to a sea and God parts the Red Sea. Now here's the funny thing about the Red Sea story. We are so good at, so good at just reading a story because you know what happens. So when you see them get to a sea, you already know the end. So it's no big deal. Think about it if it were you. You just got free. You got your silver and gold. And now you sitting up on some water. Do you think the Egyptians was letting the children of Israel, when they were slaves, take swimming lessons? You think they were making sure that they knew what to do in the sea, in a rough sea? What about all that silver and gold? How are you supposed to hold on to all that in the water? They didn't come out with natural weapons, but the Egyptians were chasing them and had those natural weapons. So you're looking at a situation where you don't even know what to think to get out of it, and then God opens and parts the Red Sea, and he's so detailed. And let me just say this for the women, because sometimes, let me say this right so I don't offend nobody. Sometimes we can get discouraged because our men don't always get our details. You know what I'm saying? Y'all don't have to be quiet right now. You can help a sister out, okay? Stop putting pressure on them about that sort of thing. God is in the details. Because look, not only did he part the Red Sea, he dried the ground that they be walking on. Because have y'all ever tried to walk across something that's muddy? Have you ever gone outside, especially Georgia rain? Especially if you got the red clay and Georgia rain here to destroy everything that's going to touch it? He dried the ground for them to walk through. Then they're continually going on this journey, and they have this promise. I have a promised land for you, a land of milk and honey. These are all these miracles that God has done for them. They get into the wilderness where they're at, and they're on their journey, and he's providing water miraculously, quail, food. They got everything they need. And these people, I used to think, these children of Israel people are some jerks because God had done so much for them, but every time they ran up against some drama, they were, oh, oh, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. You know, we should have just gone. All this kind of stuff. Until the Lord pointed out to me, you know, there are times when we act like the children of Israel. Oh, yes, we do. Let me start with uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Um, so here again, they're in a situation where they're, they're facing up against what looks like impending lack, and the situation just didn't look like what they thought it would look like. Verse 1 says, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. 
And then these people cried unto Moses. And when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And verse 4 says, And the mixed multitude that was uh, among them fell a lusting. Now here's the interesting thing. Complaining always has an element of lust in it. Now what is lust? Lust is an inordinate affection, meaning it's a desire that you have in your life that you have allowed to get out of control and it's bigger than what God would say or God's ways. Uh, I'll give a good example of that is for the single people. How many single people do I have in here? Raise your hand. Raise it strong so I can see it. Look around, see if anybody is cute here. No, I'm just kidding. It's one thing to desire to be married and desire that when you know you get married in a godly sense that you can have the celebration of the things that can come along with marriage. Some of the sexual gratification, all the different things like that that should only be happening in marriage. Uh, that should only be happening in marriage. That, okay, I was going to go past that, but I'm just going to follow the Holy Ghost. Let me just say something. <laughs> Let me just say something right here. Uh, <laughs> the Bible says drink water out of your own wells. Meaning that, ladies, stop giving away your body and it hasn't been paid for. Uh, I was 37 when I got married and I was a virgin. It is possible. And here's the thing. Again, it's kind of a hater. I know it's not popular in this day and age. There was a show I was watching on uh, television and they were berating this girl for being a virgin at 26. In fact, she was rejected because she was a virgin. I remember one time there was a popular talk show on and they had a 30-year-old virgin come on on television. They were treating her like she had four eyeballs and six set of ears and, and four pair of legs, like something was wrong with her. But no, listen, there is a protection and there's a holy of holies. And that people should not, when you get to the place when you're allowing yourself to be used and abused to please somebody else, and you've gotten outside of the word. Sometimes that's a lust in itself. You're lusting for approval or you're lusting to have a man. And you know, ain't no man in this day gonna be with you and even gonna wanna marry you until he try out the merchandise. Listen, let me tell you something. i just give you a real quick tip. If a guy can't be faithful to God while he's single, He got to sleep around, do everything else. He can't be faithful to God. What makes you think you have a shot? Marriage does not fix promiscuity. It is not the very same lust that's trying to drive you into sexual sin does not stop when you get married. Oh, that's a revelation. I'm, you know, I'm going to say that again. The very same lust that you have to learn to overcome and, and, in managing your body does not change when you get married. In fact, it can grow. Because what happens when you're single, Satan is busy trying to push you together too soon. And then as soon as you get married, then he's trying to pull you apart as much as he can. Oh, y'all not feeling with me, but you heard it. You're accountable for it. So there's one thing to desire to be married in God's timing, in God's way. There's another thing to be lusting after the opposite sex and the production that it comes with. And at that point in time, you realize that lust in itself, a desire that you have, if you let it get out of control, it can ruin your life. 
And so the children of Israel here, they're in a position and they're getting into lust. And here's the funny thing about this is that uh, complaining keeps you tethered to your past. Listen to these folks here. Verse four says, and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting and the children of Israel wept again, again, again. How many of you know God did not send Jesus to die on the cross for you to spend all your days crying, all your days depressed, all of your days discouraged? That's not about what you're going through. That's about your attitude and how you look at it. They wept again and they said, who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And listen to the drama when you get into all that complaining and murmuring. But now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. You know, Satan is very good at romanticizing your past. Now, you know they did not eat well as slaves. They didn't eat well as slaves. But now, because they're in a challenge, and their attitude is, a, is into lust and into murmuring and complaining, now they're romanticizing what they prayed to get free of in the first place. If you've got something in your life where God set you free, can you see yourself getting with a bunch of people trying to figure out how to get back in that mess? Do you think they woke up thinking that's where they would be? No, they didn't. But they got caught up in it as a result of that. If you jump over to chapter 13, you'll see this uh, the same thing kind of going on in their life. Uh, <clears throat> they get to the place finally where they're getting to the promised land through all of their challenges. And they get there and verse 2 says, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which, giveth, uh, which, which I give to the children of Israel, of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, and every one a ruler among them. And Moses, um, by the commandment of the Lord, sent from the wilderness all these people to go check out the land that God had sent them. Now here's the thing. I really believe, because again, one of the things the Lord said to me was like, don't be so quick to call the children of Israel idiots or dummies. Because that's kind of how I was feeling, like these people. Every time I heard the story, I was like, these people here are just something else. He said, don't be quick to do that when you don't recognize the amount of that that you do for yourself. I think they were just upset that they were going through drama. You ever just been there? Like, you know what? I'm just, I'm so tired of having to deal with you. I mean, not that I can't deal with you. Not that I can't, you know, walk in line with you, but I'm just so tired of dealing with it. So they get to the land, and they get to Canaan, and this land has promised to them, and yeah, it has everything that God said. Milk, honey, everything's looking good. But then they see there are people in there. They're inhabitants. And have you ever had that feeling with God where it's like, God, why is this so complicated? I know when I met my husband, I was saying this to the single ladies last night. Did we have a good time last night, ladies? You know, I was feeling like there was nobody out here. I was like, it's slim pickings, especially the older I got. I was like, it is slim pickings. I didn't get married until I was just about 37 years old. And, uh, but my husband, you know, the Lord brought him to me from another country. So we were doing this international dating. And I was so grateful for him, for him, but I was so mad at the same time because everything was complicated. My uh, other cousin, uh, Minister Angela Fielder, he 
is one of the ministers at the Round Rock location in Texas. Uh, he was also dating who now is his wife, Ebeth. And I was sitting in my office in Dallas, and they just, you know, it, to me it seemed like they just decided, you know, let's get married. So they printed out some flyers and sent them out to everybody. Here's the date. We're going to get married here. Y'all come and join us. And I remember when I got the flyer, I balled it up and I threw it across my office because I was just mad. Because I was like, they can just decide we're going to get married. Here's the date and do it. But because my husband and I were international, we had to go through like four or five interviews with people who don't know us, taking all of our personal, you know, texts and everything between us, trying to prove that we really, really love each other and hoping that we get a good immigration officer that's going to let us get a license so that we can actually get married in either country we decide. I was just mad about it. I was like, Lord. Ebeth and, and, and Angelo are in their 20s, and they sending out flyers. I'm in my 30s, and so is my man. And we got to do all this jumping and dancing before a judge. Why in the world that I've been serving you all this time? Why I got to go through this? Why can't I just roll up the street and talk to my man? Why can't we just go somewhere and elope somewhere, and it actually be legal? We grown. I'm just mad. You ever notice that the promises of God require your cooperation? God is not a genie in the bottle. It's not about rubbing him the right way. He talks about we are partners together. Partners don't do the same thing. They don't do the same thing. And even when it came to the story of Lazarus, when he was dead and he was in the tomb, and Jesus showed up to raise him from the dead, Jesus could have just, you know, there was a large stone there. And Jesus could have just, you know, waved his hand and had the stone moved and did like this and unwrapped the body of Lazarus. Everybody's standing there. I mean, to me, that makes more sense. You want to testify. Let's watch him do this. Watch the stone go in the air and then poof, turn into birds and fly away and Lazarus come forth. And then he gets up and everything unravels and he walks out and he's taking breaths and everybody's like, wow. No, Jesus showed up and said, move the stone. And it was a heavy stone. Here's the thing. God requires you to participate in your own anointing, in your own miracle. You know why that is? See, this is where attitude of gratitude comes into play. Because oftentimes it's not that you're waiting on God to move in your life. It's that he's waiting for you to do your part. He's not talking about you go dying on the earth and doing what Jesus did. You couldn't do no better than Jesus. But he's talking about you getting in faith and taking whatever steps he leads you to take along the way. And here they're in the same position. This land belongs to them. So this is the same God that parted the Red Sea, same God that healed their body, same God that gave them money as they walked out, same God that was feeding them miraculously in a desert. What makes you think he can't handle the inhabitants that are in the land? Let me say this to you. You're here today. Do you know how many people did not wake up this morning? Do you know how many people had a carbon monoxide leak in their house last night and they did not know it and they didn't wake up this morning? Do you know how many people lost their lives this week, but yet you're still here and God is the ultimate businessman. He does not waste space and he does not get gypped. 
Sometimes these infomercials get me and I'll buy something and I'm thinking, you know, there was this one thing called, you know, a hair removal stuff and you're supposed to use it on your little chin chin ladies and, and it'll go away and will it come back? No, no. I'm like, oh, let me buy that. So I pay for it. They're like, and every time you use it, the hair will get thinner until eventually it goes away. Did that work? No, no. I got gypped. Or you watching these cars online and you're thinking you're getting this automobile that can do all of this and do all of that and you get that automobile and is it living up to all it was cracked up to be? No, no. But Jesus and God, the Holy Spirit, they're the ultimate businessmen. You know what it takes to get you here? See, sometimes we only want to praise God for what we've seen. But the children of Israel are up here complaining about what they see failing to realize that long before they even knew what was happening, God was saving a baby boy by putting him in a basket and letting him be raised in the house of Pharaoh so that he would know how to come back and God would use him to set them free long before. They, they probably, those people still didn't know that story. That God used the very people that were oppressing them it was their food. It was their water. It was their clothes. It was their bed. It was their mattress. It was their daughter that raised the person that God used to help set them free. But they showed up to that situation. If you keep reading, the word says that they saw themselves as grasshoppers when they looked at all the inhabitants of a place that God had given to them. Listen, it's your year of abundant harvest, and I'm tired of looking at broke down, busted, and disgusted Christians. It's time for us to stand. It's not about what's happening in your circumstance. You know, listen, if you got it going on, of course you're going to be hated on. Of course you're going to be hated on. You got it going on. If you whack and you ain't got nothing to offer, the demons will not be messing with you. You better take that thing as a compliment. There's a story in the Bible where it talks about they were on a boat and Jesus has said, let us get to the other side. He went to sleep in the back of the boat. He went to sleep. That is like, that feels like some foolishness to me because the storm came and the, the word says the boat was filled with water. If you want to wake somebody up, what do you do? Splash water on their face. So how come you can sleep in water? Because he made a decision not to let the circumstance even steal an ounce of his sleep. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the next level. And you know, the bigger part about that story is, is that thing said that that boat was filled with water when them people woke Jesus up and said, do you even care that we're about to die? They were in the midst of a miracle because a boat that is full of water is a sunk boat. So there's already something holding you up, even though you're walking in a Eurocliden and a storm. The same God that started a work in you, why would he bring you through all the mess you done been through to let you fall right now? Why? 
If you fall and you are destroyed right now, what testimony does that give about him? He's not going to let you go, but you got to get your attitude right. Start having an attitude of gratitude. Start thanking him for what he's already done, knowing that the same God that already did these things in my life will complete it in my life. And the best part about that is simply this. <laughs> that storm, that whole drama, whole situation came. We oftentimes tell that story and stop there. How about read what happened when they finally got to land? They get to land. A demon-possessed man comes. Jesus sets him free, tells the guy, go publish what I've said unto you. Then they get back on a boat, and they go again on another journey. And when they get off that boat, there is Jairus with the miracle of Jairus' daughter, 12-year-old daughter being raised from the dead, and the woman with the issue of blood. That storm that's coming in your life is coming to stop something that already belongs to you. And as big as that storm was, it was not able to succeed. It was not, and it wasn't about Jesus in the boat, punching wind like, no, I see you and do it. No, he was sleep and resting. You ought to take it as a compliment when stack attacks start coming. I'm like, oh, I forgot. I must have something great on the other side. So I'm going to skate through this issue over here, and I'm going to skate through this issue over there. And I just want to thank God because I know he's a God that loves me. He does not waste time and space. And if he still has my heart beating and my lungs expanding and my life ahead of me, I know he's got something for me. And I will not lay down, and I will not die here. In fact, I'm going to be thankful that he sees me and that he is protecting me as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It says I will fear no evil. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say as I walk through death. He said the shadow of death. Because a shadow, if I, there's my shadow right there. I can't, I, though it's there, I can't shake its hand. Because it has no substance. He said, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow. Some of you feel like I'm just dying. I'm dying in this. I'm dying in this. I don't know what to do. Try and shake its hand. There is no substance. And you know how you get rid of the shadow? You add more light. And that light is in your mouth. It's in your thanksgiving. When you're in an environment where you're just hearing negative words about yourself, you fill up that room with light by opening up your mouth and talking about, oh, uh-uh, I'm made in the image and the likeness of God. Yes, I make some mistakes, but God knew that was coming ahead of time, which is why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that I don't have to live in guilt and condemnation. I don't have to wait till I'm perfect and I've got this over here and I've got that over there. I'm a child of the most high God. And the reason why Satan trying to get creative up in my life is because he sees the anointing on my life. In fact, Satan himself is the reminder that I need sometimes that I got it going on and God has a plan and God is using me. It's all about your attitude. When I got married, one of the things I was so scared about was <laughs> I was first told that I couldn't have 
children. I think I was 19 or 20 when I came home and told y'all that the, the little doctor told me, oh, yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to have kids. You might have trouble trying to have kids when you get older. And uh, <laughs> I got to the place where I was like, okay. So I was worried about that. My single life, I didn't enjoy it like I should have because I was worried about, Lord, you know I'm just a little bit older because, you know, if you show up to have a baby and you're over 35, they be looking at you like, they're like, man, y'all can have babies till you're 80, so be careful. Women, they're like, oh, you 35, we got to send you to a geriatric specialist. <laughs> now, this is my children of Israel moment, and I'm going to close here. It'll bring it home. And so I finally got married, and I had been through so much stuff. I learned so much in my single singleness, how to be content. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. And I learned to be content in my singleness, which was something that I can see now. If had I not done that, I wouldn't have been married. I wouldn't have been ready for marriage um, because marriage is not a fix-all. Look, if you look at marriage as scrambled eggs, this is what we do wrong. Scrambled eggs with an omelet with all the extra stuff you want. You like you like a little brown, put some mushrooms in there. You like a little yellow, put some cheese in there. Whatever you want to add to your omelet. Describe this egg. This egg is shiny, organic, grass-fed, no cracks, not sour, just right. So I'm believing God for this egg. And I put it in a bowl, and I'm like, you forgot you got to add your egg. So then you crack in your cell. But you have let all the negativity of life put cracks, and so you're a little sour. When you mix them two eggs, a bad egg and a good egg together, do you get a healthy omelet that is scrumptious and ready to be eaten? No, you don't. So I realized that. I was like, I'm working on myself. I met my husband. We got married. As I said, I was 37. We got to the place where we, we, we figured we need to jump on this thing fast. So we immediately start trying to have children after the first year. Nothing second year. Nothing third year. Get to the third year. and We're like, let's go to the doctor. Go to the doctor. They do not have a good report. If you just do this fertility thing over here, you just do this over here, and you do that over there, then we should be able to help you, and we need $400,000 to try all of these things on you or some amount of that. Those of you who have dealt with infertility, you know what I'm talking about. Get through all that, nothing works. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my, see the Lord, this is what I was talking about. This is what I was talking about. Ain't nobody getting married at 37 and having kids. Forgetting the fact that the Lord miraculously let me live long enough to meet my man brought my man from another country we jumped a whole bunch of hurdles together and then we're actually happily married you know they say girl that first year of marriage is rough it was not rough for us it doesn't have to be that way we were just living in whatever finally make a long story short we finally got these two twin boys we're like oh yes i can see why it took so long it's double for your trouble and then i lost those twins and I, I just, I literally did not think I would survive that. It was, it was emotional pain that I had never dealt with. My husband couldn't fix it. I didn't even want him in the house. Just get out of my face. My parents came with some scriptures, and I just wanted to pack them up as soon as they opened their mouth. <laughs> my dad was like, you got to live what you preach, you know, like Paul, when he got bit by that snake, shake it off. I was like, I'm about to shake you off. 
Get out. Get out. Anyway, September 30th of last year, my son Lucas Mark Ferguson was born. <clears throat> my little miracle rainbow baby. And uh, <laughs> I got to the place where I wish I could tell you that my attitude, you would think my attitude is like, I got a miracle baby, blah, blah, blah. Nope. I get into childbirth and I had read the books. Now, when you're older, they try and, you know, bring the baby early and all that kind of stuff. And, and thank God for doctors. God uses doctors. Um, but you still can't turn off your peace. I overrode my peace about when they wanted to try and induce me and bring me early. As a result of it, it took four days for me to have this baby. So I was mad about that. I wrote all my scriptures out, Lord. I read the supernatural child book. But I waited all this time and did all this, spent all this money, been through all this stuff, all this heartache and disappointment, and now up in this hospital four days just waiting, people having to change their schedules. Why, why is everything so difficult for me? You say you love me, God. How come I can't be like one of these faith chicks that's like, I was in the hospital, I didn't even feel no contractions, and boop, the baby just came out. How come I ain't, that ain't my testimony? I was so mad about it. I was so mad about it. Then I picked the hospital because of the birthing room. And it was all nice and sweet, and that's where he had been for three and a half days. Do you know I ended up having to have a cesarean? And uh, when they, they took me to the operating room, these folk, I'm getting rolled out of the operating room, my little baby. I'm like, we're going back to our beautiful room that we came in. This is the tour they gave us, right? It's like, oh, no, we gave that room away while you was in surgery. We was literally in a hallway. They had, they went in my, they went in my hospital room and bagged up my clothes and my stuff. Because, you know, when I got to the hospital, I spread everything out, had my stuff in the bathroom, personal bathroom, bathtub. They just threw that stuff in a bag and was like, we just waiting for another room to open up. Oh, then I want a secondary bill as well. Don't give me that full bill for that room you took from me. So then I was mad about that. Stupid people at this hospital. To, to, you know, the healthcare up in America is just some foolishness. It's because I'm black. If, if I was a white chick with blonde hair and blue eyes, they wouldn't have gave my room away. And I'm just there. Got a miracle in my arms. But I'm there. Then my son is having some issues, and they're like, we need to do a little procedure. I'm like, really, God? Really, God? I have all these dreams and visions of how I'm going to be and how everything is going to work and my birth plan and the naturalness of it all, and, and it's just drama. I was mad about it. Then people were telling me, the moment you see your baby, it's just going to be this love that overtakes you. And when I saw my baby, I was like, why are you so swollen? Like, I mean, who, who is this baby look like? You know, it took me a while to bond. It didn't happen the way that I thought it would happen. So then I was mad about that. Then it was the people that didn't come to the hospital and see us because we had to stay there longer because of some of our issues. Didn't come to visit, didn't come to say, I'm like, oh, okay, all right, I'm going to remember that. Don't be asking me why you weren't invited to his first birthday party. You weren't at his birthday. You know, I was just... just then I get home. Then my husband starts getting on my nerves. This is my miracle man. He getting on my nerves. I'm like, you know what? That's not how you put it. You, you, 
That's not how you put a diaper on. Don't talk to me about how you sleepy. You've been asleep for nine. All you had to do was have fun, and now you got a baby. I had to go through the nine months or something. Now you telling me you sleepy? You don't know how to warm up the bottle? That's too hot. That is too hot. Don't burn my, this is, oh, oh, this is getting, now I see why God said it's not good for man to be alone because I got to be in your presence to do everything for you with this baby. (laughs) Baby in my arms, miracle baby in my arms, just mad. Then I get to the place where I'm like, you know, I did not know what sleep deprivation felt like. I thought, well, when I was young, I didn't go to bed. I'm a night owl, so that's not going to be a problem for you. It is a different type of sleep deprivation. I can't explain it. And then so I slipped into this depression. And you got to be careful when life gives you permission to be depressed. Oh, well, you know, postpartum depression is normal. It is not normal. Well, you know, he just got laid off from his job, so that's why he's depressed. No, you don't have to be depressed. Oh, he just got into retirement, and so things in retirement are not going right. Or just having to make that adjustment of not having anywhere to go. That's why he's down, or that's why she's down. No, be careful when life gives you permission to be ungrateful. So finally, somebody comes over to the house, and they say, you know what, y'all been cooped up in this house. I'll watch the baby. Y'all go out to eat. We go out to our favorite restaurant, and my husband's like, it's just nice to be out. It's nice to see the sun and feel the breeze. We get into the restaurant. I cried the entire dinner. And then my husband is looking at me crazy. You know, a good man, he may be thinking you're crazy, but he's trying to hide it on his face. But you know him too well. Don't be looking at I know what you're thinking. Don't you look at me like that. You haven't been through. The last thing I need right now is your judgment. I need you to hold me and understand what I'm feeling. hormones are going up and down so by this time my son is four weeks old now I I was brought up old school where you're not supposed to take the baby out the house until they're six weeks old okay so I bought into that and but it was four weeks so I was about to break that rule so I called my husband and my son was having some issues with some of the clothes that I bought for him and he needed a certain type of fabric so I called my husband I said honey do you mind if I just take the baby real quick to the store and <clears throat> get some some better pajamas or something for him that I can have him wear? And, you know, he said, "Sure, honey, go ahead and go. It should be shouldn't be a problem." So I get in the car, put the kid in the car, get to the store parking lot. Now it's this huge strip mall. It's got multiple baby stores in it. Stop signs everywhere. All kinds of stuff. I get out the car, I leave my baby in the car seat, and I strap him into the stroller, pow, pow, car seat. I'm standing in the parking lot. I didn't even get into the intersection. And I'm standing there with my son, and of course, I'm just kind of like, I'm attitude in every car rolling by, because I think you should stop. You see me standing here? You should let me go. You should let, you know, they just blowing by doing their own thing. All of a sudden, this, this SUV runs this light, and then comes, and I'm watching them. And then she turns right into me and my son and hit us. My four-week-old son hit by an SUV. And me as well. <clears throat> and one of the things I, I, uh, I was upset about, too, is I felt like my son didn't look like me. He does now. 
but at the beginning, he didn't. My son can open my iPhone with his face. Hot mess. How'd you get into my bank account? He, okay. So, <clears throat> we get hit by this car. And in Michigan, it's cold. And it was November, so I had him zipped up. I couldn't see him. And bang, the sound of the me on the hood, the stroller hitting the front of the SUV. It was so loud. And I was frozen. I couldn't move. I, 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 it was so much fear. I didn't want to unzip it. I didn't know what I was going to see. I didn't want to see it. Didn't think I was strong enough. Nothing was coming out of my mouth. The driver of the vehicle was the same way, like, just, just panic. I took off. I ran into the store with my baby. And, of course, <clears throat> EMS gets there. Now, by this time, the baby is screaming. And they, I'm, like, trying to get the baby out of the car seat. And they will not remove a baby from a scene of an accident from a car seat. Had to wait till we get to the hospital, we get into the trauma room. I'm in a wheelchair, the baby's in the trauma room. And the thing I didn't know about a trauma room is that because it's trauma, there are no curtains. Everybody, if it's a gunshot victim, everybody's just right there. And doctors are just moving and hovering in sections to whoever is crashing or needs something. So I was sitting there in my wheelchair watching them take my baby finally out of this car seat. It's like four or five different people pulling on him, trying to check his spine. You know how stupid I felt when I was watching that? That I had anything to say about what he did or didn't look like or whether or not he latched or whether or not he kept me up all night. You know how stupid I felt as me and my husband stood there squeezing our hands together, not knowing what they're about to say about my baby? Because I was, un I was, I was in a place when I started to realize that I would was so blessed to have a baby to keep me up at night and scream and pee on me and do all the other stuff he was doing. That I was so blessed that the very thing that I was believing God for, I had manifested in my life, but because I was still murmuring and complaining, I opened the door for Satan to come in and think that I didn't want the gift in the first place. My son's still screaming, and then finally they figured out, they're like, all right, we know what's wrong with the kid. And they pulled out a bottle. I say he's hungry. <laughs> and he was, wah, wah, wah. Instant silence. Even in the midst of my murmuring and complaining, God protected me and my son. I should not be here today, and neither should he. God spared our lives, and then the Lord said, you know what? You, it just actually raised the expectations on the anointing on my son's life because I was like, look at everybody else in the Bible who Satan tried to take out in their infancy. Jesus killing every, everybody two years and under trying to find him, actually trying to kill his mother. She had to go into hiding when she was pregnant with him. Moses, who, as I've already said, had to be hidden and hidden in the house. You know, God will hide you under the shadow of his wings in the enemy's camp and use all their resources to keep you right and keep you tight. The funniest thing about this story was when I got home, all of the same things that was burning me up in my life, they didn't change. The circumstance didn't change, but instantly the depression went away because I changed my approach and I had an attitude of gratitude and thanking God 
So the next time your car blow up on the on the part uh, on the freeway or something like that, thank God that you even have a car and that there are parts in that car that might be reconciled or that again, if I'm on this level here, God has already made provision for what I don't know is actually coming. Because here's the thing, the funny thing about this, the car seat didn't survive the accident. We had to throw that car seat away. But the stroller was a titanium stroller that took that like a champ. I still use that stroller to this day. It got hit. It took the brunt of the hit from an SUV and it didn't even have a scratch on it. Not one scratch. And the crossbar had a painted, you know, the name of the brand of the stroller on it. You know, that's easy to scratch. You can scratch that with the nail. That is still untouched to this day. Here's the thing about it. I didn't buy that stroller. It was way more expensive than anything I would have purchased. But somebody in my church decided to bless me months before Lucas was even born with this expensive titanium stroller. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I just thought it was a nice stroller and it was a financial blessing. But no, God knew what was coming down the line. So he used somebody to sow a seed above and beyond what I would actually do that not only functions as a stroller, but was a safe haven for my son when the enemy tried to run an SUV through him. Do not despise what it is that you're going through. Do not get to the place where you get ungrateful and you get unthankful. Satan does not have enough power to take you out. He wants to trick you into giving up your own power. You want to know how to live a happy life? Learn to live a life of thanksgiving. When you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, thank God that you have toenails. Thank him that you have toes. Thank him that you have a foot. Thank him that you have ankles. Thank him that you have knees. Thank him that you have hair, whether it's on your head or not or just in your nose or growing out of your ear or growing out of your knuckles thank him for the fingers thank him for the one set of clothes that you have if that's all you have thank him for the water even if it's i hope you enjoyed today's message thank you once again for tuning in today now if you enjoyed the message go ahead and subscribe to our youtube channel download our faith christian center georgia app as well as follow us on social media and if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially support this ministry and what we do here in the Metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.